Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast. My name is Mike Keenitz, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Madison Oak, who is a physical therapist, and she runs the Vertical Doctors website. She herself is an expert in vertigo treatment. She talks about the many different styles of vertigo people can experience and how you can treat them or who you should see for help. So without further ado, here's Dr. Madison. Well, welcome, Dr. Madison, to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So to begin, can you briefly introduce yourself and share your background in vertigo and dizziness? Yes. So my name is Madison Oak or Dr. Madison or whatever you want to call me, really. I'm a physical therapist. I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, go Badgers, for PT school. And at Madison, we just got a lot of general vestibular education and things like that just from being at Madison. Um, Dr. Judy Duane, who is head of neurology when I was there, she, um, I think she still probably is, she is excellent. And she's like, you guys are going to learn vestibular. And so I think a lot of PT schools don't get as much vestibular as we did. We still definitely didn't get as much as obviously someone would know as a clinician, but enough to kind of get you started. And I then went for one of my clinicals. I wanted to live in Austin because as you know, it is expensive to live and we do not get paid. So I was like, well, I'm going to go somewhere where there's housing. And some of my family had housing for me to live in in Austin. So I went to one of my clinicals at 360 Balance and Hearing, which I think now is called 360 Balance and Dizziness in Austin, Texas. And all I did all day, every day was treat vestibular disorders for nine or 10 weeks or however long that was. And while I was there, I thought it was super interesting, but I always wanted to be a pediatric inpatient peds PT. And so when it came time to find a job, I was living in New York city and it was also the height of the pandemic. I am a 2020 grad. And so I was like, you know, at least I'll just like wait and see if I can uh, get a job in vestibular, if it's possible, or get a job in inpatient peds at a hospital. But those jobs are hard to come by because people, once they're there, they don't really tend to leave. And so I was like, well, I'll just get another job until then. And I started working at Equilibrium Physical Therapy, which I love, love the staff there, love the clinic. Like it's such, it's one of, it's the best first job I could have asked for for PT. And it was half orthopedics half vestibular caseload but slowly but surely I would start to get more and more chronically dizzy patients and I knew how to treat a vestibular disorder I had heard of most of them I knew mostly what I was doing for a new grad and I would be like see I would see these patients and some of them just would not get better and my BPPV patients would get better my vestibular neuritis patients would get better but as I started to get more and more of that chronic dizzy caseload and less and less less ortho and less and less acute dizziness I was like hey I have to figure out why these chronically dizzy patients just are not getting better like my other patients are and so from there, I really like dove into the research. I truly sent everyone just like on their way for a couple of weeks. I was like, don't see me for a couple of weeks. If you are chronically dizzy, I will schedule you all after this week. And I just dove into the research. I figured out what persistent postural perceptual dizziness was. I had heard of it, but never treated it before. I wanted to know what vestibular migraine was. I really, really wanted to dive into like Meniere's disease and all these things. And what I found was that Vestibular migraine is the most common cause of neurological dizziness and vertigo. And so that really got me started on what is now the Vertigo Doctor, which is my Instagram website. I am everywhere um, about dizziness and vertigo and the ways to manage it really comprehensively because people with really chronic dizziness and vertigo actually, I find, do not do as well. Clinically, this is my experience. And I think this is the experience of quite a few physical therapists that those chronically dizzy patients don't respond to like head shaking style exercises like someone with BPPV would to an epi or vestibular neuritis would to VOR times one. They respond really well. It goes quickly. You can pretty relatively quickly help someone with vestibular neuritis. But if they have something like chronic dizziness from vestibular migraine, they tend to get worse from those exercises from a clinical perspective. So I thought that was all really interesting and now here we are, and it's my whole life. So do you want to spell out your website for people listening? Yes, it is the Vertigo Doctor, all the way spelled out, dot com. It's on Instagram, everywhere. 
Yeah, and you're on YouTube as well, right? I got a YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever we're calling that X. I don't use it very much, but uh, <laughs> that's there. I think Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, my website are the best ways to find me. So for our listeners that aren't familiar with the realm of physical therapy, um, mm-hmm. I will admit that most physical therapists or PT assistants like me know a very small amount <laughs> about the vestibular. We know the minimum. And everyone that is knowledgeable in it, we just send them all your way. So you get to deal with everything we don't want to learn, right? Exactly. I'm going to move my camera. Exactly. And I think that's okay, right? Like medical doctors are so specialized. They go into like one specific kind of neurology, right? Or like I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I only do the shoulder and you would never ask me to do surgery on a knee, And I see nothing wrong with that in physical therapy as well. So if you ask me to treat a knee or a hip, a back, I'm like, hands off. I'm (laughs) sending you elsewhere. I couldn't tell you what to do anymore. Like shoulders up pretty much is really what I can deal with. So I think that the vestibular physical therapy is a specific niche of PT that deals with the inner ear disorders. So you have your outer ear. That's the part you can feel and touch. I have headphones on right now covering my outer ear and your outer ear is considered from that part. You can see all the way into your eardrum and your eardrum. I think most people are pretty familiar with. It's what separates the outside of your ear from your middle ear. The next part of your ear that you want to be familiar with is your middle ear. And if you live in the United States or you know what a map of the United States is, it sort of looks like Florida. If you Google a picture of inner ear anatomy or just ear anatomy, the, the middle ear part is the part that looks like Florida. That's the part that pops when you like go up or down on a plane or you go scuba diving or something like that. That's your middle ear. Your middle ear is basically like a sack with a tube and that tube is your eustachian tube. And I think most people are pretty familiar with this sensation of your ear popping. That's normal. Your eustachian tube is meant to be closed at baseline. When you pop your ear, it quickly opens and shuts again in order to regulate the amount of pressure. Like there's a pressure volume relationship of gas or air, right? In anywhere, but in your ear. And that regulates the pressure, basically. That's why when you get sick, for instance, and there's like mucus in your ear and you can't pop your ears, it's like literally stuck together. And then one day it just drains like, oh my God, my ear is not so full. That's what's happening. Within your inner or middle ear, you also have your malleus, incus, and stapes, which are the teeny tiny little bones which knock against each other and vibrate in order to send signals from your eardrum to your inner ear, aka the part called your cochlea, in order for you to be hearing this right now. That's part of your hearing system. Now, your inner ear is made up of two pieces. So if you go one step further into your skull, you get to your inner ear. This is, again, like a pressure-sensitive organ, but it's not attached to your eustachian tube is what I'm trying to say. It's a little curly cue thing. And you probably learned about this in like high school biology class and never thought about it again. It is your cochlea and your vestibular system. They are one organ that's like smashed together that has two different functions. They share fluids. They share a nerve, but they do two different things. So on one side, it looks like a snail and that's your cochlea. That's how you hear. We don't have to get into the science of how you hear, but it's a lot of it has to do with that. And then on the other side, I call it it's evil, non-identical step twin (laughs) is the vestibular system. Your vestibular system is then again, we can separate it into two parts. You have your otolith organs. They all have ridiculous names and your semicircular canals. Your otolith organs are sort of, you could imagine like a piece of jello on top of grass and it's like sticking up into the jello and then like sesame seeds or nerds on top. That is your otolith organs and your otoconia are the nerds on the top. So again, you have three layers. You have grass, jello, nerds. You have hair cells, this jelly layer, and then otoconia on top. And those are your linear motion detectors. So basically they move with gravity up and down, side to side, back and forth. You can imagine like 
I don't know why I always think of this, but like in Willy Wonka, the newer one, not the super new one, but the newer one before that, he has this elevator that it goes all directions, like forward, backward, side, side, up, down, left, right, diagonal, like all these weird directions. Those are the linear directions of your otolith organs. I think there's one in Harry Potter too. Then you have your semicircular canals. Those semicircular canals are what detect angular motion. So if you go to like spin in a circle or you lie down at an angle in bed, that is detected by your circular canals. There are three. There's an anterior one that sits on the top, a horizontal one that sits on the side, and a posterior one that kind of sits back like this, if you can see me. So all directions that you are moving your head, your vestibular system can track that acceleration. It receives signals from your body, from your spaces around you, all of that. And it's one of your balance systems. It's an important one. And it will help you say, okay, I know where I am in space. That then, that's your peripheral vestibular system, will send a signal from the outside, aka what I call like the cable box, right? It receives a lot of signals. It then uses like a cable wire, aka your nerve, your vestibulocochlear nerve. So remember, your whole inner ear has one nerve. It's a cranial nerve, meaning it goes directly from that system into your brain, your brainstem to send that signal. So from your vestibular system, it says, okay, we're moving forward. It sends that signal through your vestibular cochlear nerve to your brain, and your brain makes up a picture or an image or says, okay, we're moving forward or backwards or side to side or whatever, depending on what your vestibular system says. So if something goes wrong with your vestibular system, then you could have dizziness. But you can also have dizziness from your brain not computing that information or weighting that information correctly. So dizziness comes from lots and lots of places. And most people are like, well, I'm dizzy. It must be my inner ear. But there are plenty of people who have nothing wrong with their inner ear at all. Like you can test it all day long until the cows come home. Nothing will ever be wrong with it. But the way that your brain is interpreting the information being sent is incorrect. So that would be a central vestibular disorder if that interpretation is correct. So my job as a physical therapist, as a vestibular physical therapist, is to say, do you have a central disorder or a physical uh, or peripheral disorder? And of course, I cannot give a medical diagnosis and all that kind of thing, but it is part of my job to determine that and refer correctly. And it is also part of my job not only to determine which one it is, but to also give a correct treatment plan to make sure you are managing your dizziness from home. I just got a college anatomy lesson <laughs> reminder again there. <laughs> I think that happens in most podcasts I go on. <laughs> I, I I understood majority of it. Anyway, uh, before we get into the specifics of vertigo and how that works, would you mind explaining what your vestibular group fit is on your website and how that works? Yes. So like I said, kind of at the beginning, a big part of me becoming the clinician that I am today was recognizing the difference between how people do with peripheral vestibular disorders and central vestibular disorders. And a lot of the complaints that I kept getting from patients was, why am I back here again? Like, I thought this, I thought I was done with managing this, right? Which is not true. I feel like I can't exercise anymore. I feel like I am having, being stuck in this dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle. Like, so I kind of took, well, I did. I took all of the things that my patients were telling me from a functional perspective. I can't do this part of my life anymore. I'm having a really hard time with XYZ. And I combined it into a group program meant to be the most affordable way to manage your dizziness comprehensively from your own home. So it's a group program with hundreds of members. And there are four main pillars of the program. So movement, mindset, support, and education movement because people who move and exercise their bodies are less dizzy than people who do not. And mostly I work with people with vestibular migraine and there's good, good research to show that exercising will reduce migraine frequency and intensity. So we do lots of strength, Tai Chi, yoga, Pilates, cardio, like you name it, it is in there. There's ballet, ballroom, the whole nine yards. Mindset, because dizziness is terrifying and you can get stuck in something we call the dizzy, anxious, dizzy cycle, which is more or less the same thing as the chronic pain cycle. So if you 
are a patient or you have a patient who gets extra stressed out or they something anxiety provoking happens and then they get dizzier and then when they get dizzier, they get more anxious. This is really, really normal, but it is a very vicious cycle that will keep you in an anxiety and dizzy cycle and can cause something called persistent postural perceptual dizziness, which is like the chronic pain version of dizziness, basically. So all these things can happen if it's not managed. So we have lots of meditations and critical thinking and uh, breathing and nidra, yoga nidra, like all of these different ways to manage your mindset. And it's super, super effective. People are like, I can go back to the grocery store. I can drive again. I can do all these things because I have shifted my mindset. And if you can't shift your mindset about dizziness, I have found that most of the other work is not as effective. Support because dizziness is an invisible illness. And so yes, you might feel like you look off balance or some people will say like, I'm nervous. I feel like I look like I'm drunk when I'm walking, even though I don't drink alcohol or do any drugs, like people have these fears. And so getting support from other people like you is a really important thing for living with a chronic illness, but we want to do so in a way that is not just I need to just rant about this. So we have really constructive conversations about like how to support yourself through these things. We have coaching calls a couple times a month. And then of course, there's a place to rant when you're just feeling like you just got to get it out. There's a place for that as well. And then educational component is because knowledge is power. And a lot of medical professionals do not like to treat dizziness. That's just the fact of the matter. Most medical professionals will admit that to you fully. And that is okay. But being educated, like, hey, this is what I have, this is how I'm dealing with it, and this is what I'm going to do about it, is important both for yourself and also to be able to bring information to your doctor. Maybe you live in a rural area without a headache specialist or without a neurotologist or without the right professional for you specifically. And so if you can educate yourself, and although, of course, your doctor should be the one doing your plan of care, that's not always the case in dizziness. And so what are the things that I can do that I can advocate for myself in order to get the right treatment and the right plan of care? Like a lot of people have brought the PDFs we have in group or whatever to their doctor. I'm like, look, I have this. Please prescribe me X, Y, or Z. Or can we talk about something that I can do about this better? And I think that once you have that kind of knowledge and information, I know, then you end up getting a more, a more superior plan of care and end up feeling better in the long run. So those are the pillars. It is a very comprehensive program and it is all pretty much the exact same things that I teach in my one-on-one like VRT, but from a coaching perspective, like I'm never going to give you medical advice. Like if you were my patient or something like that, but I can say like, Hey, here's the right place to go, or here's the right educational module, or maybe you should try some mindset work. And so myself and Dr. Jenna Green, who I went to PT school with, she and I work together on this to make sure everyone's getting the right information all the time. Yeah, that's quite a resource. I was digging through it and I noticed Mm -hmm. all your specialists in there and everything you kind of mentioned already with the, I saw the ballet person. (laughs) Yeah, there's like truly, if someone was like, hey, can we dance? And I was like, let me find a ballet teacher. Like there are so many ways to manage dizziness. It doesn't have to look the same for everyone, but everyone wants something a little bit different. And so finding the way that's going to work for you, building yourself a toolkit and managing chronic dizziness. There are no cures for these things. And so finding a way to manage it that works in your life is super, super important. And so I really want to give you the tools for that is the short of it. Sure. All right. We're going to get more into vertigo specific questions Mm -hmm. now. So what exactly is vertigo and how does it differ from general dizziness? Okay. Vertigo has a very specific definition. Vertigo is the incorrect perception that you or the room around you is moving, sliding, or spinning. So vertigo is the perception of false movement. Vertigo can come from BPPV. It can come from benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, which is the most common form of vertigo. It can also come from you feeling like you're on a boat. That is internal vertigo. That is also the false perception of movement. So you can get that from many different things. Dizziness is an umbrella term for all forms of dizziness, right? Someone might say, 
they feel off balance. Someone might say, I feel like I have mud sliding around in my head. I have had people say, my head is a hot air balloon. I have like my little pony unicorns jumping around up there. Like I just feel like sparkly and weird. Like dizziness has so many definitions from imbalance to vertigo. So dizziness is an umbrella term. It's not like if you're a physical therapist and someone says, my knee hurts, what's the next question? What does it feel like? Where? Where in your knee? What does it feel like? Is it sharp and shooting? Is it dull? Is it sometimes? Is it all the time? Is it mechanical? Like what are these things that make pain pain? The exact same thing goes for dizziness. So if you are a provider who's looking to get into uh, treating vestibular disorders, or if you are a patient who goes to see a doctor about vestibular disorders, the question should be, I feel dizzy. The question should be, what does that mean to you? Because I have people who will say, I have vertigo. And I say, okay, what does that feel like? And they say, I'm off balance. That's not vertigo. That is not the incorrect perception that you or the room around you is moving. That is, I feel like when I'm on the grass, I can't walk. Now that can be perceived like I say I have vertigo because I don't know, necessarily know the definition of vertigo, right? Some people think that vertigo is standing on the side of a cliff and like not having the correct depth perception. So vertigo has that specific diagnosis. And it's really important that as a healthcare provider, you know that definition and can say like, is this or is this not? Because if you have vertigo, my plan of care is different than if you are imbalanced. And so getting to the bottom of like, even if someone says, I have vertigo, you need to ask what that means. And people say, well, I don't know how to describe it, or I don't really know what it feels like. Use your best words. If you think that that feels like I have mud in my head, I want to know. If you think that means I feel lightheaded when I stand up, I want to know. Knowing exactly what that feels differentiates that between benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, which is the ear crystal problem, and something like POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And those referrals and those treatment plans are so, so different. And so knowing what your patient or what you are going through with that is super important from a vertigo versus other symptom perspective. If I'm ever forgetful, I'm going to use, I have mud in my head from now on. (laughs) Um, Our next question is, can you explain some common causes of vertigo? Yes. So I'll go through three of the most common causes. So the most common known cause of vertigo is benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. And that is what everyone will call like, I have ear crystals. I have crystals in my ears. My ear crystals are out of place, something like that. Your ear crystals are supposed to be in your ears. That's like saying I have TMJ. Everyone has a TMJ. Everyone has temporal mandibular joint. It's just whether or not it's dysfunctional. Benign paroxysmal positional vertigo, we're just going to call BPPV because that's way too hard to say, is when those crystals in your ears that I described at the very beginning, the tiny little nerds fall off. They're supposed to slough off. It's normal. It's part of being a human being. You're born with a certain amount and they slowly just kind of fall off throughout your life, are supposed to be reabsorbed into your body through something called dark cells. If it misses, basically, or doesn't like land in the right spot, it can slip into a semicircular canal. And because of inertia and fluid flow and all these different things, when you move into a position, if you're watching on YouTube, then you can see my positioning, or you roll over in bed, or you lay down in bed, or you look up into a cabinet at an angle, all these things, and you start spinning, like the room is spinning. That can often be BPPV because those crystals are moving in that canal where they're not supposed to be. There's not supposed to be any interruptions basically in that fluid movement because the fluid is moving in order to hit on your ampulla, which tells your eyes to move back and forth. And there's a bunch of science behind it, but the basis of it is there's not supposed to be blockers in there. And so if there are blockers in there, then you're going to, that fluid's going to keep moving after you've stopped moving, which is going to make your eyes twitch in a certain pattern, depending on the canal. And you just need a canalith repositioning maneuver. So some common ones are an Epley maneuver or a barbecue roll. Those are the most common ones that we use, but there are many there's with crazy names like 
Goofoni, for instance, like ridiculous names for these things, but they basically put the crystals back into their spot so they can be reabsorbed into your body. Now, another really common form of dizziness and vertigo is vestibular migraine. Migraine is so common and it is very underdiagnosed. They expect that about 50% of people living with migraine have literally no idea that their symptoms are from migraine and have not been diagnosed, even though it's very, not very, it's treatable. Migraine is treatable. It's manageable, I should say. Treatable would imply a cure, so manageable. Vestibular migraine is a type of migraine diagnosis that requires some form of vestibular symptoms. So that could be spinning, that could be imbalance, that could be I feel lightheaded, plus a migraine criteria. So those are light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, aura, things like that. And you could Google vestibular migraine diagnostic criteria and they will come up. So knowing that you have vestibular migraine can be really important or is really important because that's how you get the correct treatment protocol. But it's also something that we want to consider from a positional vertigo standpoint. So BPPV is the most common form of positional vertigo, but vestibular migraine is kind of like right on its tail. There are many people who are like, I'm having BPPV. I've done a hundred cantaloupe repositioning maneuvers and those crystals just will not go back. That's when you need to be evaluated by a headache specialist for positional vertigo that's happening from vestibular migraine because other forms of positional vertigo exist. MS can cause positional vertigo. I have seen it. So not all positional vertigo is BPPV and needs a repositioning maneuver. So those are the two most common forms. And another pretty common one that I do want to recognize is vestibular neuritis. And that is an inner ear infection that will affect by inflaming your inner ear nerve, and then you don't get that function back. But your brain will learn your new normal. So your ears function like this. And if you can see me, this is helpful, but if you can't, I will do hopefully a good job explaining. So your ears at all times say, I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward. They send a signal from your ears to your brain that say, okay, at the same time, I'm looking forward. If I look to my left, my left side sends an excitation signal and my right side inhibits. So now I have a signal that says, okay, I'm looking to the left and to the right. And all day long, I'm gonna try to back up and see, okay. So all day long, your ears send that signal to your brain. Say, I'm looking right, I'm looking left. When you get a vestibular neuritis, it will in some capacity shut down one side. So you will not have 100% function in that ear anymore for most people. So it'll cause, I don't know, two to three days of spinning and then some imbalance. And then it'll be hard to like walk on different surfaces and walk in the dark and then you'll get this thing called a video nystagmography test. And it'll say, oh, your caloric test is saying that, which is when they put the warm or cold air or water in your ear and it makes you spin. And one side will be more spinny than the other side. I also see this happen in people with uh, who have had COVID. Some people will also get hypofunction from that. Um, but there are lots of ways you can get a hypofunction. Basically, it just causes this one ear to say, okay, I have less function in this side than this side at my baseline. And so now my brain has to relearn what this normal is and people with neuritis do super well. Um, so those are like the main causes of dizziness. There are many other causes of dizziness if those don't like fit your life or don't fit like what you would describe as your dizziness. Uh, or if you're a provider and you're saying like, that doesn't really sound like my patient. They have this or this, or this, there's many more diagnoses that you could go through. I, d I didn't even know two of those three. So I'm learning lots today. <laughs> so my next question is what methods or assessments do you use to evaluate and diagnose vertigo in patients? Yeah. So this really gets back to my question of what does your dizziness feel like? Because there are a lot of ways that I could test you, a lot of ways that I can 
refer you to, like there's a lot of different places to send people with dizziness, depends on the person. So if someone comes into my clinic and they say, every time I lay down, I spin for 15 to 60 seconds, then I don't feel very good, but I'm not spinning anymore. Then I will assess that, assess them for BPPV. I always want to know if you have BPPV because it's pretty easy to treat most of the time and I can do it over telehealth pretty easily. And I, I, in Jackson, I go to people's homes to do this. Treating BPPV pretty straightforward. Most physical therapists can do it. If someone's saying, you know, I used to be spinning and then it stopped and it's only happened once and I didn't really feel good, but my, my partner helped me to the bathroom for a couple days, but now I'm okay, but I just feel imbalanced. Then I'm going to test something. I'm going to test your peripheral vestibular system itself. So I'm going to do, give them like a dizziness handicap inventory, which is your a good objective measure for people who live with dizziness. Then I'm going to test, uh, can they shake their head and read lines for me? A DVA test, which is dynamic visual acuity. I'm going to test their balance, their signal like stance. We're going to do a sit-sib or cat-sib or however you want to call that test. I might refer them out for a VNG to see, are your uh, ears functioning the same way? You can do a head thrust test, VOR cancellation test. You can do um, a rotary chair test if you have like a spinny chair and it's safe. Please do this very safely. You can do a Fukata step test, even though it doesn't tell you a lot. It just says, hey, there's dysfunction somewhere. It doesn't tell you much other than that. But there are different, like a battery of vestibular tests you can go through for a peripheral vestibular dysfunction. If you see someone acutely, you can use the rules of Alexander's Law in order to determine if they're having peripheral vestibular dysfunction. So your nystagmus or that involuntary eye movement, if you're having a peripheral dysfunction, will move towards the direction of the less affected ear. So if I have a right vestibular neuritis, my eyes will be beating to the left. It will always go towards the ear of more function. If I look in the direction of my nystagmus, the nystagmus will get more intense. And if I look away from the direction of the nystagmus, it will get less intense. So that will say, okay, I have a peripheral vestibular dysfunction. If my eyes are down beating or up beating or they change direction, that's when I want to say, hey, that's probably central and I want to be referring to a neurologist. So if you have nystagmus, that kind of sends me in another direction. There are a lot of clinical decisions to be made when it comes to like a professor described it as you pull out like these file cabinets and you kind of go through the files of like, okay, if they answer yes here, then we're going to go here, right? If they say, yes, I have positional vertigo, then we're going to first test for BPPV to kind of knock that out of the way. Now, do they still have other dizzy stuff going on? What else can I test for? What else can I look for? So the things that I would most be aware of looking for is, do they have nystagmus? Do they have a history of migraine? Are they having neck pain? That kind of seems kind of migrainous. It doesn't seem super mechanical. That's weird, right? That's also having light sensitivity or sound sensitivity, with this dizziness, okay, I need to be referring to a headache specialist. Um, does it only happen, do they only get imbalanced, like when the lights are off? These are kind of questions that I'm asking myself and asking my patient so that we can do different objective tests, but most, or not most, many vestibular diagnoses, specifically vestibular migraine and persistent postural perceptual dizziness are clinical diagnoses. So you will not see anything on testing. Your patient will come in. I'm dizzy. My VNG is normal. I've had seven MRIs. They're all normal. I've seen 80 doctors. Every doctor tells me I'm fine. And this is in my head. It's not, it's probably vestibular migraine. And so from a clinician standpoint, how can you then get them to the right person? Because I can't, I can't diagnose that, right? I can't say you have vestibular migraine. It's not in my practice act. I can say you need to be evaluated by a headache specialist to see if this problem is migraine and you do not need to have head pain to get a migraine diagnosis. So that's kind of like where my head goes. And I, my brain is like, wow, crazy. So if you need a good continuing education resource, um, 360 NeuroHealth is great. The Duke course is great. Uh, there's one at University of Pittsburgh that's great. There are a couple of really good ones out there.
How common is vestibular migraines compared to other ones? I want to make sure my statistic was right. About 3% of the adult population. Oh. That is fast. a lot of people. You're a fast researcher, <laughs> by the way. I was pretty sure I, I knew it in my head, but I was like, I don't want to say it on this podcast unless I know that I'm right. And I was pretty. I have done, I mean, I have. if there is an article on VM, I have read it. Um, but it affects up to five times more women than men. Most patients will have a history of migraine headache and or motion sickness in their past. So like I grew up with really severe motion sickness, couldn't go on a car ride, right. Without like wanting to throw up. And then like in my teens, maybe I had like a migraine attack or two, or my mom has migraine or my grandma or my great grandma, whatever, someone in your family will maybe have had headaches or migraine in the past. And a lot of people are like, oh, my mom just had headaches, but she just like would pop an Advil and be fine. That's probably migraine. Obviously, this is not medical advice. I cannot tell you whether or not you have it, but likely it is. Uh, so if you have dizziness and vertigo and you have like any form of light sensitivity, neck pain, sound sensitivity, any like weird aura that happens, any of those things can be migranous and kind of direct you in the direction of, hey, maybe I have vestibular migraine. And 40% of people with vestibular migraine have no head pain at all. Head pain is not required. I, I know I said it once already. I'm going to say it again. Head pain is not required for a migraine diagnosis. And that's really important for us to understand because a lot of times we're like, oh, well, I don't have a headache, so I can't possibly have migraine. False. So hmm. it's really, really common. So can you discuss the role of vestibular rehabilitation in managing vertigo? Mm-hmm. So this really gets back to what is causing your vertigo? Vertigo is never a diagnosis. So if, if you've gone to the doctor or your PT or your NP or your PA, literally any healthcare provider, like, oh, you have vertigo. Have a nice day. That's not a diagnosis. It has a diagnostic code, uh, but it's, it's, not a diagnosis. I think it's like 91 something. It's not a diagnosis. So it's a symptom. It's like saying I have pain or saying I have, I don't know, my eyes are red. Like why? Right. There's a lot of reasons any of those things can happen. So when you're managing dizziness and vertigo, you first kind of need to know what am I dealing with? Right. You really need to know what you're looking at. So you can know what you're looking for. Does this person have a history of head trauma? Is it from a concussion, right? So if it's a concussion, you're going to send it, send them to a person who manages concussion. If you've determined, hey, maybe this is migraine, you're going to send them to a headache specialist. If you've determined, hey, this is a peripheral vestibular disorder, most PTs can probably confidently treat that. Maybe not all, but many can probably confidently treat that with a little bit of continuing education. So you before this person leaves your clinic, you probably want to do a... Dick's Hall Pike on both sides and a roll test on both sides. So we're going to be testing your posterior canals for BPPV and your horizontal canals for BPPV. I think that's a pretty good start. Do they have positional vertigo in these positions? Now your patient might not say, hey, I have vertigo, but you're going to be able to see their eyes twitching in a certain way for 15 to 60 seconds. That's the first thing you want to be looking for. After that, you really want to be listening to their symptoms. And this is where this gets a little bit more complex. And this is where like, if your patient's dizzy and you're a person who only sees shoulders and they ended up on your caseload, this is where you need to refer. So when this person, when this person says this, they say like, I'm having a lot of dizziness and it happened last week. And I also was feeling kind of sick. Like I had a virus or whatever and now I'm feeling better, but I'm imbalanced, that's a good time to say like, okay, I'm going to do a head thrust test, which is where you kind of move their head around. Then you quickly move one side and quickly move to the other side um, and have them stare at your nose and see if their eyes, their eyes don't catch up. Basically their eyes slip off of your nose. That's what you're looking for. So if yes to that, that means they probably have a hypofunction or that their brain isn't interpreting that information correctly. But more often than not, they'll have a hypofunction and they say, okay, you have a hypofunction. I'm also going to do a dynamic visual acuity test, which is a pretty easy test to do. You have to move someone's head at 240 beats per minute and see if they can read an eye chart basically. And how many lines can they read 
normally? And then how many lines can they read while moving their head? If that is two or greater in between, that's when you want to be saying, okay, I need to be prescribing this person VOR times one probably. And that's just, can my eyes focus on one spot while I move my head at a certain clip? So those are like the easiest main tests to do. But if you are a clinician listening to this and you're like, I just don't know, that's when you should Google vestibular therapist in my area and just refer them. Because you there, our first thing always is like, I don't want to hurt my patient, right? I don't want to make my patient worse. It's really easy to make a dizzy patient worse. Because if they're shaking their head all around and they have vestibular migraine, that's just adding to their trigger load every day. And that can send them into an attack. So if you're sure they have vestibular neuritis, treat it. Go right ahead. If you're sure they have BPPV, treat it. Go ahead. There's no nothing wrong with saying, okay, I'm going to do an epley or two and try to get rid of this BPPV. See if it is positional from BPPV before sending them to a headache specialist. That's fine. But if you're seeing those red flag type of things, right? You have central downbeating or upbeating nystagmus, right? Their face is drooping, their eyes drooping. Those things can come from migraine, but you really want to be sure. So making sure you're doing your neuro screen, making sure you're doing all the things that you would normally do, right? If you see someone with something neurological going on before you just kind of dive into vestibular exercises is really important. And then please, 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 if nothing else, I'm begging you at least take like some form of med bridge education on the vestibular system before you really get into treating this. But neuritis and BPPV, you can pretty frequently kind of get away with being like, hey, I'm, I can I can do this without referring too far. Turning your head at 240 BPM while reading seems challenging. <laughs> for you want to hear how fast that is? <laughs> well, that's like... Should we should play the... Well, I'll play you the click. It's four turns per second, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, here. Yeah. So I... you start at 120. Anything less than 120 right. is actually tracking. So you're better off just kind of like asking them to track their thumb back and forth before you start. But it sounds like this. Yeah. That's... <laughs> Just trying to read so while doing that is challenging. Your gaze should stay stable while you do that. You should be able to read this within one-ish line of what you read normally. So, like, you'll get that, like, normal eye chart, right? Yeah. And then read it, whatever line your eyes are at, whatever. And then can I still read this while I'm... Oh, okay. And most people cannot, but you should be able to. So, if you can't, it's also a good one to practice. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking at, there's some text on my screen. I can read it while yeah. doing that. It's not thing. so bad. It's about one, um, when you do the, when you do the test, it's like a 20 foot test or a 10 foot test or whatever, whatever eye chart you have in the clinic. And then when you do the exercises, you start with like arms distance from the wall and then kind of work your way back or start moving or different backgrounds or whatever. Huh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Are there any preventative measures individuals can take to reduce the risk of developing vertigo? So this is really going to go back to what kind of vertigo do I have, right? The most, the one that you are most likely to get is BPPV. It's really pretty common. If you get BPPV, just head to the physical therapist first. I mean, we are statistically better at treating and identifying it than any other provider. So heading to the PT, hey, I have positional vertigo. I've had it before. It's not fun. It's weird. It's kind of nauseating. It's not great. But it's really easily treatable. So the best things that you can do to avoid that is to live a relatively healthy lifestyle. And this is like, everyone's like, well, I want a pill or I want something I could do. No, you need to make sure your vitamin D levels are good. Your bone density is good. You're exercising, you're walking, you're lifting weights, anything to like improve your bone density. Cause that will increase your risk for BPPV. Um, regulating your blood pressure, right? Everyone should be around 120 over 80 ish. Obviously we're not all perfect, but as close as you can get to that will help. Uh, I think there's some research for healthy cholesterol levels. All of these things are like, okay, if I can just exercise, drink enough water, eating protein, eating my vegetables, right? Getting enough fiber, things like that, that we all should, we know we should be doing these things, right? Not eating tons of processed foods, those things will reduce your risk of BPPV. If you have recurrent BPPV, looking into 
are any of those factors I mentioned before kind of like out of whack? Or am I just a person who's more likely to get BPPV? Like I said, I've had it before. I'd say it was probably about three years ago now, maybe two years ago. I know that now I'm at a higher risk for getting it again. What do I do? I lift weights. I walk. I run. I ski. I exercise. I eat pretty healthy, right? I'm not perfect by any means. I try to practice what I preach just like everyone else, right? But I know that I have a 50% chance of getting it again. And that's something where I I know what I'm going to do when it happens. From preventing other stuff, like vestibular neuritis, for example, that virus is typically comes from the herpes simplex virus, which most of us already have living inside of us, right? So it's just about like, are you going to get sick and then it's going to attack your inner ear? Maybe, maybe not. And so there's nothing really you can do to prevent that too much because we mostly all have that virus inside of us already. And then from a migraine perspective, do you have migraine? We tend to see that like big shifts in stress and big shifts in hormones. So I see it a lot with people like going through like perimenopause to the menopause kind of phase of their life uh, or postpartum will have shifts from migraine to vestibular migraine. I see it all the time. We're not exactly sure why it is. Uh, It does come up in some of the research, but again, not exactly sure like why is this happening? Just that it is indeed something that can happen. So you can't avoid, right? If if you want to have a child, you can't necessarily avoid being postpartum. Women, we cannot avoid going through menopause. It's just going to happen. And so during those times, like what are the things that I can do with my doctor to be aware of this, to say like, do I need hormone replacement therapy? What am I doing to make sure my bone density is good? What am I doing making sure that, I'm not like letting my blood sugar spike and drop all day. Like what are those things that I can do generally? And then it can still happen, right? Like people with vestibular migraine can do everything perfectly and still get a migraine attack. And it is not your fault. It's just something that's frustrating and it happens. How common is vertigo amongst um, younger people? I have a skewed idea because my population I primarily saw was 65 plus. So I associate it with that age group, but I know like you just said you had it. Yeah. I have seen people as young as 17 with BPPV. Um, but there is benign positional vertigo and that is a, um, disorder of childhood. And that can also be present, present as BP or BPPV can just be common in all ages. I'm just going to say it that way. Um, I think it has a different name. Nope. BPPV. Yeah. Oh, BPVC, benign proxismal vertigo of childhood, recurrent episodes of dizziness in children. Um, and so vertigo really can come at any age. Like I have patients who say, I have been dealing with dizziness as long as I can remember. I've been dealing with dizziness since I was one years old. And I don't know how anyone can remember that far, but people will say that. Uh, and again, those people who had motion sensitivity and motion sickness as children, right? Like that is a form of vestibular disorder. That is a form of dizziness and vertigo. Um, but it's just something to be cognizant of and like knowing yourself, right? What are the things that you can, this is the question I always am asking. What are the things that you can do right now to support your body? And that's the question really to ask yourself if you are dealing with dizziness and vertigo, but dizziness and vertigo of some form is usually in the top three of most complained about symptoms in the ED every year. So just across the board, it is common. Sure. So my next question, I'm sure it depends upon which style vertigo you have, but are there any home exercises that patients can do to help alleviate their symptoms? So I, as a clinician, will say that if someone sends you home or you Google like dizziness exercises, you will come across the Epley maneuver probably. And most people give it a shot without going to the doctor. It's not always going to work. Most people will come across those head shaking style exercises, VOR times one. Those are not for everyone. That'd be like if someone prescribed you some medication without a reason for it, right? Um, there are some, you're going to come across Brant Daroff exercises and Cawthorn Cooksey exercises. I do not think that anyone should do those without a prescription. 
That being said, one thing that everyone can do is grounding and breathing. So the one thing I didn't really talk about a lot is that you have three systems of balance in your body. You have the, your eyes, the way you see the world, right? You see have your vestibular system, the way you track acceleration, deceleration, and position. And then proprioception, which is the way you tra- track like what you're standing on, where what position your joints are in, things like that. Now, all of these work together to create a picture about what what's going on in your brain and what's going on in your body, where you are in space. Are you moving? Are things moving past you, right? And that's like a conversation for another day because there is a lot of information to know about that. But one thing that everyone can do is grounding. And this is going to help integrate your vestibular, visual, and proprioception all together. It's pretty simple. You sit either against the wall or on a firm chair. And all you want to do is measure, hey, can I feel where I am in space right now? And can I make it match what I'm looking at? And can I make it match my acceleration? A lot of people will say like, I feel like I'm on a boat or I feel like I'm rocking and swaying all the time or whatever. All of these are really common symptoms, but if you can just sit with your feet on the floor, and this is not going to work the first time, sit with your feet on the floor, with your butt in the seat, with your back against a chair, with your arms in your lap, and just feel how still the world is around you. I don't recommend doing this in like your favorite comfy chair. Like do it in a kitchen chair. Do it against the wall sitting on the floor. Something something that actually is firm so your body can say, okay, the wall behind me is firm. It's not moving. The floor beneath me is not moving. And then just kind of try and regulate your breathing. Breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth just as slowly or as quickly as comfortable. You don't obviously need to like super breathe in and super breathe out. Some people will say that makes them dizzier and there are reasons for that, but kind of just notice that you're breathing. I am breathing in and I am breathing out and then notice the space around you. And that is grounding and breathing paired together. And that is one thing that's going to help pretty much everyone across the board. And like I said, the first time you do it, you're going to be like, why is Madison making me do this? It's ridiculous. <laughs> but as your body starts to recognize and practice it, like, hey, I'm safe. I'm secure. Dizziness is an error signal. Dizziness is like if you pinch yourself and you go, ow, right? I didn't actually hurt myself, but that's my brain's way of saying like, hey, that's not safe. Dizziness is a really similarly processed and made signal. And so if you can teach your body, hey, this is not normal. I'm actually fine. I'm safe. Thanks for letting me know, but I'm good. I don't need you to tell me that anymore. And like really bring that down. That will help your dizziness a lot. Sure. Yeah. I remember a few years back, you, you keep on mentioning, you feel like you're in a boat. I, I live by rivers, not oceans. And we were on a trip and we we're ocean fishing for like four hours. And afterwards, no matter where I was, everything was just swaying. <laughs> totally. Totally. If that lasts more than like a couple days or a couple weeks, it can be called mal de debarkment syndrome, which is a not super common form of dizziness and vertigo, but it's, it's sea legs. And for some people it doesn't go away. And for most people that's normal. It's normal for your brain and body not to be paired together. Um, for like a certain amount of time. When I get off a boat, when my mom gets off a boat, like we feel like, hey, this is weird, right? And then it kind of like your brain adjusts, it goes away, but grounding, breathing and grounding is a really good way to help your body out with that process. Sure. I'll have to try that if I ever, I mean, that situation again, it's very frustrating. (laughs) Totally. It's so frustrating. Dizziness is annoying. So are there any emerging technologies or advancements that have enhanced the treatment of vertigo? Um, there are some great like dark goggles that really have helped with diagnosis of certain things like BPPV and stuff like that in the clinic, seeing if you're having, uh, nystagmus without room light, things like that. There are now some cool apps whose names escape me where you can like record your eyes and send them to your clinician through like a portal and things like that, which are cool because like me, I'm telehealth. That's always fun. Um, and then there is a new um, piece of technology for people who have POTS, which I know is not one that we talked about. Um, but for people who have POTS, 
there's a new like earpiece you can wear that tells you, hey, like your blood pressure, something with your blood pressure that can be really helpful in the management of POTS. Um, so if you're a person who have POTS, which I think we talk more and more about since COVID and long COVID and stuff like that, uh, that's something to look into. I really should Google what it's called. And I will Google it for you right now, actually. Um, <laughs> earpiece for POTS. And I will find it. And then another cool one is for people with migraine. There are some really cool neuromodulation devices. Um, and a neuromodulation device is basically something that without any side effects, pretty much, um, can help you manage your migraine better. So there's one called GammaCore or Truvaga, and um, that is one that goes like on your neck right here, which is research for migraine and vestibular migraine and long COVID, a gamma core is, and it will stimulate your vagus nerve. Make sure, uh, lip do this while you're doing it. And it like pulls your lip out. And then, uh, when that's happening, it's regulating that nerve, which can be super, super helpful in either raising your threshold for migraine or lowering your trigger load for the day. Um, there's one called cephaly, which goes on your forehead. We didn't talk about like why migraine happens and why migraine attacks happen basically, but, uh, that one helps regulate your trigeminal nerve. And then there's a cool one that goes around your arm called Nerivio. I am not associated with any of these companies. I just think they're really great things to know about if you have migraine or vestibular migraine. Do you have um, a lot of those things in your office? Um, I do not. I see all my patients via telehealth, except for like the few that are in Jackson proper. <clears throat> you live in Jackson Hole. I will come see you at your home, uh, concierge style. But um, everyone else I see via telehealth. So I do not. I know some doctors who do, but most people are just like, hey, go try this. Like Cephaly has a really great return policy. I think Nerivio is covered by insurance for most people. And GammaCore, you pay for it once and then it's good for three months and then you just don't pay for it again if it doesn't work for you but it works for most people and i did find that earpiece it's called stat which i should have just remembered um it's s-t-a-t health um it's an in-ear wearable that measures blood flow to the head for people with pots which is really really cool oh fascinating all right, I have one last question for right. listeners who may be experiencing vertigo or dizziness. What advice would you give them and when should they seek professional help? Yes. If you have dizziness and vertigo, seek professional help just whenever you possibly can and do it in this way. If you have positional vertigo, Google vestibular therapist in my area. Go see one. If you have a history of migraine and you're getting this like weird new onset dizziness, go check in with your headache specialist or make an appointment with a headache specialist. And if you have any other kind of dizziness and vertigo, you can try a neurootologist or you can DM me and I will send you on the right way, right direction towards a different doctor. Um, but I would really go about it in that way. Um, there are not a lot of these people who like to treat dizziness. There's really not a lot of us, but the ones of us who treat it, we are obsessed. Like my friends joke that like, this is my whole personality. Like I love treating vestibular disorders. It gets so much better than it might be right now. I promise you all of these things are manageable. I live and breathe the fact that movement mindset support and education will get you very, very far. And then remember to use your, your, healthcare professionals in the way they're supposed to be used. A lot of times we go to our medical doctor and want to give them our whole history of like these 85 traumatic things have happened to me and these 75 symptoms are happening, but like this one sometimes and this one all the time. Go in there knowing you have 15 to 20 minutes with this person and what your goal is. If you're going to see your therapist, that is the person that you want to talk about all your traumatic history with and like, how do I work through this and how do I manage my anxiety and all this stuff? Your medical doctor went to school for a medical degree. Your therapist went to school to be a therapist. Your physical therapist went to school to be your physical therapist or your vestibular therapist. We have all gone to school for a very long time to do a very bizarre and specific thing. And so remembering that as you go into your appointments will get you so much further than trying to give all the exact same information to all of your same healthcare providers. Because the questions I ask someone are not going to be the same questions that your medical doctor asks you, that your therapist asks you, right? So remembering that as you go in, 
rather than being disappointed when your 20 minutes are up and you feel like you haven't gotten to talk about all the things. So make a list, go in with your binder, but also have your bullet points. Hey, I need these two things. I need a referral to this person, or I need this medication, or I need an answer about this, or who should I see for that? Try your best. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but try your best to use your 15 minutes to your advantage. It gets better. Thank you for the uh, wealth of knowledge today. I'm going to make Bob and Brad listen to this and I'm going to test them on it. So I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I love all of you guys. Bob and Rod have been a staple in my life since PT school. So happy yeah, to be a lot here. of uh, students know them from. Oh, yeah. Realm. And all of our parents are like, are you going to be like Bob and Brad? Literally <laughs> so many of our parents. So. It's always good to know you guys are keeping up on all things. I love you guys.